Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's return this morning to the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 13. Our text this morning is verses 10 through 17. The title of the message is A Daughter of Abraham. Now we've been studying for several weeks the things that Jesus had to say to his disciples and to the crowds who had gathered around him concerning primarily uh, the things he warned them about, mainly to be ready for his second coming. This morning here in chapter 13, the setting shifts to a Jewish synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now before I read the text, it's important to remember the attitude that the religious leaders of Judea had towards Jesus. If you'll turn back a page or two in your Bible to Luke chapter 18, you'll come to verse 53. And this is the summary statement of chapter 11 after Jesus has had lunch in the home of one of these religious leaders, a Pharisee where he has condemned the Pharisees for their religious hypocrisy. They pretended to love God, but really they love themselves. They love fame and attention. They put weights and duties upon the people. They were not willing to abide by themselves. Verse 53 of Luke 11 says, when he left there, that is from the luncheon, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. That included when he went to the synagogue to worship and to um, teach. And so keep that in mind as as we get ready to read our text. My question always is, why were they so angry? The Pharisees just seethed with anger towards Jesus. I think there's about four reasons. One is just simple jealousy. He was stealing their thunder. They were used to being the religious authorities. People had come to them for their answers to their biblical questions. Now they're going to Jesus and they were jealous. Another thing is he lacked, they thought, the proper credentials. He had grown up in Galilee, the son they believed of a poor carpenter and certainly didn't go to their schools and so they thought he was unqualified. Thirdly, he he didn't do things their way. That is the traditional way. He said, you've heard it said of old time, but I say unto you, he spoke with authority, he just didn't quote other rabbis. But I think the thing that really put their anger over the top is that he rebuked them publicly and it embarrassed them and they were tired of that and they were ready to get rid of him as we'll see today. Now some time had passed since um, this luncheon. We don't know how long, but some time had passed and Jesus returns to his regular habit of teaching on the Sabbath, which is of course the local Jewish house of worship, the synagogue. There were many synagogues in Judea and most villages of any size had at least one. Jerusalem had several dozen, we're told, during the time of Christ. The synagogue activities were managed by a synagogue ruler who approved of the teachers. And he apparently had invited Jesus to teach that day, probably because he knew that wherever Jesus went, he drew a large crowd. Jesus was recognized as a rabbi, a teacher, and he often exercised his right to teach and preach in the synagogues, as did, by the way, the Apostle Paul. That was his platform and on his missionary journeys when he would go from village to village, city to city, region to region, he would first go to the synagogues and preach to the Jewish people and then to the Gentiles. 
So, so with our setting established, let's read the text. Luke 13, 10. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, There are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? This woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, who Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated and the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of this his word. Now, so the title of today's sermon is A Daughter of Abraham. I want us to think together this morning specifically about how Jesus interacted with women. Now, I said last Sunday when we were talking about judgment that it was a hard message to preach. Well, ditto for today. You know that there is raging in our culture a war. And the war has to do with gender, has to do with uh, the relationship of men and women and the church has not escaped its effect. You know that the word Christian literally means like Christ. Our pastors, when we get together, we pray often that our church would reflect a biblical and that is a Christian worldview. That the people in our congregation as they go out to work and to schools and to um, interact with the lost and dying world that we would manifest before the world a Christian worldview. That is we would think and act and speak the way Jesus did. That we would address issues the way we believe Jesus would. We must seek to understand our Lord's attitudes, words, and behaviors towards all people, including women. And so that's what we aim to do this morning. So the first thing we see about women is that women are important to Jesus. Now that may strike you as obvious, but it doesn't to all people. In fact, you have probably heard opponents of the Bible and of Christianity say, I will never practice Christianity because it subjugates women. It puts down women. Well, that is another manifestation of this Jesus of cultural imagination we've been talking about. People who believe that Jesus denigrated and put down women have never read the New Testament. Because throughout it we find that women are important to Jesus. Notice in verse 11, And there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. He noticed her. Now this place undoubtedly was packed with human beings. But he particularly took notice of this woman. She had an unusual appearance. She was bent over double. We would probably call it uh, scoliosis or osteoporosis. But the scripture says this was a spirit. Now that's not necessarily demon possession. Because Jesus later says that it's Satan who has caused this. God sometimes allows Satan to bring physical infirmity in people's life. He did so in the book of Job, didn't he? Causing Job to lose his health and be covered in boils from the crown of his head to the bottom of his feet, the scripture says. 
So Jesus recognizes this as the work of Satan. But not only did he notice her, he valued her more than he valued even the teaching moment. I take it that Jesus stopped right in the middle of his sermon and he called this woman over and healed her. He had compassion on her and she was a pitiable sight. She was a person who not only for 18 years, no doubt had suffered physical pain. Can you imagine going through life bent double, staring at the ground when you walk? But she must also have suffered emotionally, the stares and the glares and the taunts of people. I think it's interesting that unlike many of the miracles that Jesus performed, Jesus sought this woman out. We're not told that she came to him for healing. You might infer that, but um, she had come to worship. And Jesus sought her out. And the scripture says he laid hands on her. That is, he touched her in an appropriate way. Now that is news unto itself. Because in that day and in that culture, women were viewed as less than. And particularly someone of Jesus' status as a rabbi would not have generally even spoken to a woman in public, let alone laid hands on her to heal her. Remember that the prevailing attitude of the day is that if someone was suffering, it must be because they are particularly sinful. And so this woman was suffering an infirmity for 18 years, and so the assumption must have been in her community that she had unconfessed sin. To add that to the fact that women in general were not valued in that culture. Did you know that one of the prayers that Jewish men prayed almost every day was this, Lord, I thank you that I was not born a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. That is the attitude that their society had towards women. But Jesus was not one of those men. Many, many times in the scriptures we see Jesus recognizing the dignity and the value of women. Let me just give you a few examples. You can think of others. Did you know that Jesus had disciples and followers who were women? Turn back to Luke chapter 8, just a few chapters back. Luke chapter 8, verses 1, when Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry. Luke chapter 8, verse 1 says, Soon afterwards he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Their name there, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna. So, so women were followers of disciples of Jesus from the very earliest days of his earthly ministry. Jesus taught men and women together, which was somewhat unusual. Do you remember when the house was crowded with people who were coming for healing and Mary and Jesus' brothers and sisters tried to come steal him away and someone came to Jesus and said, your, your, your mother and your brother and sisters are outside. And he said, behold, my mother, my brothers and sisters. That is, that house was full of both men and women. He had appropriate friendships with women. Anytime he was near Jerusalem, he would stay in the home of Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus there in Bethany. He helped women who were societal outcasts. I can think of several. Remember the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, who'd been married multiple times, even women wouldn't talk with her apparently. And so she went out alone in the heat of the day and Jesus' disciples were shocked when they came back from town to see him conversing with this woman and a Samaritan woman at that. And he offered her salvation. Jesus saved the life of a woman who was caught in adultery, rebuked her accusers and they went away one by one. He healed the woman with an issue of blood. 
who was an outcast because of her infirmity. And not only that, he healed someone with the greatest infirmity of all. He raised a dead girl, Jairus' daughter, and said to her, Talitha, come, little girl, arise. And she did. He held up women as positive examples. Do you remember the woman who brought the alabaster box of perfume, very costly ointment, broke it open and showered him with it? Some of the disciples said, rebuke this woman. That box could have been sold and the money given to help the poor. Not because they worried about the poor. Jesus rebuked them. And he says, what this woman has done here today is... uh, will be told in days to come. And we still talk about her today. He gave great honor to women. One of the greatest honors I think he gave to women is that women were the first to see him alive after his resurrection. Did you know that the first people to declare that Jesus is risen were women? And one of his final acts, even before his resurrection on the cross, was to provide for his mother. He said to John, behold thy mother, and to Mary, behold thy son. So, my summary point is this. If a man denigrates and devalues a woman or mistreats women or denigrates women, he is not being Christ-like in any sense of the word. Because a Christ-like person treats women the way Christ did. Now, the second thing we see here about women is that women were, like men, created to glorify God. Look at verse 13. He laid hands on her and immediately she was made erect and began glorifying God. The word glorify there sometimes is translated to magnify, to worship, that is to make much of. She just couldn't contain her joy and so she just was praising God. Isn't that why all of us were created? Isn't the overarching mantra of First Baptist Church of Keller, soli deo gloria, everything for the glory of God alone? That's why we were created. In fact, the very first chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis, God declares this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image and the image of God he created him, semicolon, male and female he created them. Now that's an important verse because it tells us that God created men and women of equal worth and value before Him. Both of them are created in the image of God, not just man. It was not just Adam that the Creator interacted with in the cool of the garden before sin entered the world, but our first parent Eve as well. Because of this woman who had been healed here in Luke 13, because of her thankfulness for physical healing, this woman spontaneously does what every person in that room should have done. She worshiped, she praised, she glorified God. But unfortunately, that was not the reaction of everyone there. In fact, some in that room became angry that Jesus would heal her. Verse 14, but the synagogue official, indignant, very angry, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, there are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Isn't that amazing? Here's a woman that had been this way 18 years. I'm sure everyone knew her. There was no compassion for her, no rejoicing with her in this great blessing of healing, only anger. 
And notice he's not angry with the woman. He's angry at Jesus. That Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. This is not the first nor it would be the last time Jesus caused anger for healing on the Sabbath. And remember that that's what these religious leaders were rebuked by Jesus anyway. Their hypocrisy. They had added all these rules and regulations to the law until it had become a great weight on the people. And just as this woman was bent over physically by a touch of Satan, society, the Jewish society of Jesus' day was bent over from the weight of the rules and regulations that their rabbis and Pharisees and religious leaders had placed upon them, particularly as it had to do with the Sabbath day. Jesus says that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God in His goodness and graciousness gave humanity a day off, a day of rest and recuperation. What a blessing it's supposed to be. And He just gave a simple rule, commandment in Exodus 20, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But to that man had added all sorts of rules and regulations and legal minutiae until the people by and large had ceased to look forward to the Sabbath day, they resented it. And that's why Jesus said when He came, Come unto Me all who are weary and heavy laden, bent down with the weight on your back, and I will give you what? Rest. The Pharisees, the religious leaders gave anything but rest to the people. They just kept adding more weight. And here he is again, this religious leader, not necessarily a Pharisee, but someone who should have known better, rebuking this woman for being healed on the Sabbath, but not having the bravery to address his anger to Jesus, but to her. And that is my third point, that women in the Bible and women to this day are often mistreated and undervalued by men Again, verse 14, but the synagogue official indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath began saying to the crowd, there are six days in which work should be done. So come during them and get healed and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered and said, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath day untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? Now again, there's no indication that this woman had come specifically for healing. Jesus went to her. He sought her out. But what Jesus does here is He points out the fact that this man and perhaps others in that room were valuing their property and their animals over their sisters, the women of that community. And that's exactly what was happening. Verse 15 says, uh, look, we know if your ox or your donkey needs to be let out to be watered and fed on the Sabbath, you do that. In fact, there was an explicit caveat in the teaching of that day that you could do that. So long as you didn't try to plow with the animal, the beast of burden, you could feed and water them. But Jesus says, I've let this woman free not from a post she was tied to, from a burden of pain and suffering she's been tied to for 18 years. And if you can have mercy on an ox, surely you can have mercy on a woman. But they couldn't see it. And not much has changed in 2,000 years. It's a shame upon all humanity that even today in this modern world that we believe to be so sophisticated that we oftentimes value property and animals more than we do women. Let me give an example of that. 
you know that the great blight on this country and the world is the sin of abortion. Statistics this week tell us that the number one cause of death worldwide and in this country, once again this year, was abortion. And there is no close second. And let me tell you a little hidden secret about those statistics. There are many more girl babies aborted than boy babies. Because worldwide, males are valued more than females. And that's the simple truth. And it's heartbreaking. And it's a tragedy. But Jesus valued women. He said it's permissible to untie and lead an animal to food or water as long as they don't perform work. How much more is this woman valuable enough to set free from her suffering? Now, the fourth point we see here is the most important. Women, according to Jesus, are co-heirs of salvation. Jesus didn't just point out the fact that this was a human being they were mistreated. He says she's a daughter of Abraham. Look at verse 16. And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? That's a rhetorical question. Of course she should be released from this bondage. She's a daughter of Abraham. See, here's a man who was a ruler of the synagogue, that is in the Jewish faith. And when men, Jewish men of that day, greeted one another, they gave to one another a sense of value and dignity by addressing each other as, there goes a son of Abraham. Remember, the, the scriptures rebuked that generation. It says, don't say we are children of Abraham because God is able to raise up children of Abraham from these rocks. But they did take great pride in the fact that they were distinct and different in God's chosen people. But of course, that also extended to the women. She's a Jewish woman. She's a joint heir of the covenant promises that God made with Abraham. You remember what those promises were? That through Abraham, all the nations of the world would be blessed. That he would give them a land that he would show them and he would multiply them until they were more numerous than the number of sand on the seashore and the stars in heaven. She was one of those daughters of Abraham. If anyone should have known better, it was the religious leader. But he turned a blind eye to the truth. But there is application to the church today. This is the primary reason why women in the church must be valued and honored is because our sisters are co-heirs of the new covenant. Jesus died for women, did he not? As much as he did for men. Our sisters in Christ that we go to church with every Sunday are those that Jesus died for. But, unfortunately, sometimes the lies that Satan tells through the culture make their way into the attitudes within the church. Let me give you a few of those lies that have been perpetuated in our culture that sometimes we see manifested in the church. One is this. A great lie of Satan is that men and women are not of equal value in the eyes of God. You've heard that. Not true, according to Genesis 1.26. Both are made in the image of God, both of equal value in His eyes. Well, the pendulum will swing to extremes, won't it? 
And so one lie we've heard is that men and women are not equal or men are more valuable than women. And then the pendulum swings to the other side that says, well, there's no differences between men and women at all. You've heard that. One of the sayings that was popular in the 1960s during the feminist movement was that the only difference between men and women is a little plumbing. Well, that's as wrong as it is crude. Men and women are different in a multitude of ways. And the Bible celebrates that. It doesn't diminish that at all. But in their understanding that there are no differences between men and women in an effort to be thought of as equal, there's another lie that's been perpetuated on our culture, and that is that the bodies of women, including the babies that grow within them, are no one's business except the woman's. But the Bible teaches that we are created beings. And if you're a Christian, a Christian, Jesus says you're no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. That includes your body. And so God has something to say about that. But, but really that is all, I think, symptomatic of a greater lie that has been perpetuated in our culture and worldwide since the dawn of time. And that is that women are simply the objects to fulfill the sexual desires of men. And we see that promulgated on billboards and in every advertisement and on the internet and through pornography and through every means of mass media. That subtle message is that women exist to gratify the sexual desires of men and it's a lie. And women have rebelled against that lie and yet they've in some cases believed another lie of Satan and that is to be a mother and a good mother is an obstacle to a meaningful life, not the means to a meaningful life. And so we've devalued and denigrated children and babies in the name of lifting up women. And you don't have to do that if you'll take a biblical worldview. The Bible says of children that they are a gift from the Lord. And the Bible says of women that they have intrinsic value because they're made in the image of God. And then one more lie that has become incredibly pervasive in our culture is that physical beauty is the most important thing that a woman could offer. And what a lie that is. And so women believe they have to look a certain way or dress a certain way. You know what Peter says about that in 1 Peter 3, 4? He says it's not the wearing of jewelry and the putting on of dresses, but it is the hidden person of the heart that God cares about. That's true of men, but it's also true of women. True beauty is the beauty of a transformed life. And this message is so important to me, more than it's ever been, because I have three daughters. And I want them to hear that over and over again, is that their value and their dignity is not based on what some man thinks about them. It's based on what the Word of God says about them. And, and sometimes I don't know if my kids are getting it. Probably you don't always know if your kids are getting the message. But sometimes the Lord kind of lets us know they are. A few weeks ago, our family went to see the big mouse down in Florida. 
And uh, we came back home and flew into DFW and got our minivan out of parking. And we were just absolutely exhausted, every one of us. And in our minivan, it's set up like many of yours. Uh, Mom and Dad sit in the front. My two oldest daughters in the middle set of rows. And my two youngest, my four-year-old daughter, Eliza Joy, and my seven-year-old son, Andrew, are in the back. And for the first time probably since we bought that van, there was silence in the car. <laughs> we were too tired to talk. So we come off of 114 there and take the exit and get on the Golden Triangle heading towards Keller. And we get to about the second red light there in South Lake. And no surprise, my four-year-old breaks the silence. And this is what she says. I have no idea who I'm going to marry. And I thought I had heard her wrong. <laughs> and, and I said, Eliza Joy, what did you just say? She says, I don't know who I'm going to marry. She was worried about it, four years old. And I kind of stared at her mother like, did you just hear that? <laughs> and she smiled. And, and I was stalling for time. I want to say something wise. And before I could speak, her seven-year-old brother said, Now, Eliza Joy, the most important thing you need to look for in a husband is someone that loves Jesus. <laughs> she said, Well, Bubby, you love Jesus. I'm going to marry you. And uh, he said, no, you can't marry Bubby, but you'll find somebody else that loves Jesus. Now, here's what I know. Eliza Joy and Andrew didn't learn that lesson from their pastor. They learned it from their mother. Because when their pastor, who happens to be their daddy, gets up and goes to work every day, the last thing I hear before I say goodbye and go out the front door is their mother teaching them their Bible verses and telling them about Jesus. That's what she's doing every day when I go to work. And this lie that has been perpetuated in our culture that says that children are an obstacle to a woman's career is the farthest thing from the truth. Because a woman who invests in her children is doing the Lord's work. And I want to say thank you to the women of our church who are doing that well. So the point is this. If you're putting down women or you're looking down upon women, particularly in the church, you're not being Christ-like. But it's worse than that. You're being an enemy of Christ. Look at verse 17. It says, as he said this, that is, as he was rebuking this man, all his opponents were being humiliated. So it, it, these were people who had those attitudes about Jesus. The Bible calls them his opponents. And the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done through him, by him. And so what were those things that were being done by him? Yes, he was teaching authoritatively. Yes, he was healing the sick. But most importantly, he was saving souls. Now hear this. As much as Jesus has done for women... 
He talked to them publicly. He went to them. He laid hands on them. He gave them dignity and value and worth in a culture that did not do those things. This same Jesus who had the power to make a crooked back straight, more importantly, had and has the power to make crooked souls cleansed. That's the gospel. And it's good news for everyone. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That includes women. But that also includes women in Romans 3.23 when it says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you're a, a woman here today, you're in the same camp as a man. You're a sinner. You're in need of a Savior. And the glorious truth is that if you will bow your knee to the Lordship of Jesus as Mary Magdalene and Susanna and Joanna of Luke 8 did, you too will be a joint heirs of the new covenant. Not just a daughter of Abraham, you will be a daughter of the Most High God. Your soul will be transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of, of God's dear Son. See, it's not just this woman who has been over crooked that has been inflicted by Satan. When sin entered the world through our first parents, Adam and Eve, sin's curse passed all of us, including women. And we are born sinners by nature and we sin by choice. And we are separated from a holy God. And the only hope we have is through the substitutionary atoning death of Jesus on the cross and His glorious resurrection appropriated by faith. But here's the glorious good news. Salvation by grace through faith is not for religiously elite men alone. Salvation by grace through faith alone is available to every man, woman, boy and girl who would divest himself in anything they believe to be valuable and cling to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you're here today, matters not whether a man or woman or a boy or girl, if you recognize your need of a Savior, you can call upon Him today, right where you are. He'll hear your cry, He'll forgive your sin, and He will not just straighten up your back, He'll straighten up your soul, that which is eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for Your Word. and. Lord, uh, we see reflected in the attitudes towards women today some hard things. These, these men were humiliated because of the way they had treated women. And Father, I, I have to say, given the news of our own denomination recently, we're embarrassed. We ought to be. Because we haven't always taken sexual abuse seriously, even in the church. Lord, I ask your forgiveness if there's any hint of that here. Lord, I, I don't know if there is, never heard such, but I know we, we have sister churches in the area that's been affected by it, and certainly our denomination has, and, and we've been brought low. Thank you, Lord, for that, because it's, Lord, when we're, we're humbled that now we can reach out to you. And Lord, we do. We pray that we do better moving forward, that we would have a biblical and a Christian worldview that we would uh, value women as Jesus did, to see them as joint heirs of the covenant promises. And so Father, I pray today, if there's anyone in this room, man, woman, boy, or girl, 
who does not know you in the free pardon of sin, that the Holy Spirit would draw them to saving faith today, that uh, all of us could celebrate and rejoice as the people in the synagogue did that day over the glorious thing being done by Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.